Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Hope your Wednesday is going well. It is December 6, 2023. I want to alert you to a really great article on Catholic News Agency all about St. Nicholas and uh, things you may not know, being that this is when we celebrate his feast day. And by the way, he's buried down in body. And Bari is in Puglia, which is the heel of Italy. It's a beautiful region. So if you ever go down to Bari to venerate the relics of the great St. Nicholas, you should visit the rest of that area as well. And unfortunately, most people, when they go to Puglia, they stop at San Giovanni Rotondo, which is awesome because you have Padre Pio there, which is amazing. Or they go to Petrolocina, where he was born, and they go to Gargano for St. Michael, but they don't travel further south. And you're missing so much because Puglia is a very, very faithful region of Italia. So keep that in mind. And body is where our saint of the day, St. Nicholas, is buried, prayed for us. But pick up that article. Go online at catholicnewsagency.com and check it out because it's really cool and also has some links to uh, various things about St. Nicholas. So just putting that out there for you because we're all about the information and the resources here at EWTN every day of the week, including today. Okay, we have Dr. Monica Miller coming up. Very excited. She is a Michigander now. She's not originally from Michigan, but she's been working and living in Michigan for decades and doing so much good in our area and across the country, especially in understanding our faith on the life teachings. But she's much more, not that that isn't enough, because she's incredible on the front lines of the pro-life movement, running a wonderful organization called Citizens for a Pro-Life Society. But she's also a very learned woman of the faith because she is a PhD, she's a theologian, and she wrote me the other day, and it's like great minds think alike. Her mind is much greater than mine, just saying. But we were thinking along the same lines because she popped into mine because she's written a book about women in the church. And she was picking up on these beautiful comments that the Pope made about understanding the church as a woman. And if we don't understand the identity of the church, we don't understand the church herself. If we don't understand women, we don't understand the church. So this is really, really important to dissect, especially in this age of all this gender ideology and these frightening things that are happening that are going against how we were created Imago Dei in the image and likeness of God, male and female. So we shall discuss with Dr. Monica Miller when she joins us at approximately 15 minutes past the hour on a busy Wednesday morning. And then Katie Daniel, she's been on with us many times. She is another uh, powerhouse in terms of being on the front lines of all things important when it comes to life. She's a state policy director for the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Group. So what's happening now is that the Biden administration is saying that pregnancy resource centers cannot receive certain funds because they... Uh, they call them fake clinics. So it's a long story. She's going to, again, dive into this for us. But it's very important to understand what's going on here. And when you have someone who identifies as a devout Catholic and is doing whatever he can in his administration to go after the core teachings of the church, denounce them, debunk them, and attack those who are endorsing the core teachings of the church, being the eminent, preeminent issue, as a bishop say, life. Houston, we have a problem. And so Katie Daniel is going to be along with us to talk about that, State Policy Director for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Three minutes past the hour, let's check the weather. The weather out in the Northwest is very severe. We'll have more information about that in the news coming up in a few minutes. Atmospheric river of heavy rain, strong winds and high surf continues to the northwestern portion of the country. And then we have warming temperatures expected for the center of the nation, where several high records are expected in the forecast. Looking ahead into the weekend, then we'll have a strong cold front expected to sweep through the eastern two-thirds of the country with heavy rain and thunderstorms and even possibly some snow in some areas. It is four minutes past the hour, so appreciate you listening to EWTN. A ton of news to get through, as always, so let's get started and see what's happening in and around the world on a Wednesday, December 6th. As he continues to recover from bronchitis, that has seen him entrust the words of his catechesis to Vatican officials. Vatican News reports that speaking personally, Pope Francis reaffirmed his closeness to those who are suffering from war in many countries across the globe. He said, let's not forget to pray for those who suffer the tragedy of war, in particular, the people of Ukraine, Israel, 
and the Holy Land. Speaking after the Wednesday general audience, read on his behalf by Monsignor Filippo Ciampanelli, the Holy Father reiterating his belief that war is always a defeat. No one, he says, has anything to gain from it. It is a defeat for everyone, except for those who manufacture weapons. During his greetings also to the Polish pilgrims present for the audience, the Holy Father also recalling that Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent, the church in Poland will be observing the day of prayer and material help to the church in the East. Meanwhile, as Nathan Morley with Vatican News reports, the Israeli military is expanding its ground operation into all areas of the Gaza Strip following the resumption of fighting last week. An Israeli commander has said the objectives of the army's ground offensive in northern Gaza have almost been achieved, even as it presses ahead with operations in the south. Israel has instructed tens of thousands of Palestinians to move, but an Israeli spokesman denied Israel was trying to drive the population from Gaza permanently. A UN official on the ground, James Elder, said Palestinians were running out of places to go. Hundreds of thousands of people on the move, probably for the third or fourth time. Some cannot because there's not enough transport to move them. Many are well aware that they are moving to a place with no water, no shelter, it's cold, starting to rain, uh, no, no sanitation. Senior American officials have reiterated their view that Israel has a right to defend itself, but added that its troops must protect civilians. Meanwhile, the Turkish president, Tayyip Erdogan, has said that the Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, would eventually be tried as a war criminal over Israel's ongoing offensive in Gaza. Unlike most of its Western allies, Turkey does not view Hamas as a terrorist organization. The Hamas attack on Israel in early October killed 1,200 people, with 240 others taken hostage. Since then, Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says more than 15,500 people have been killed in Israel's retaliatory campaign. For Vatican Radio, this is Nathan Morley reporting. The Israeli military, meanwhile, says it's going to great lengths to avoid harming civilians and accuse Hamas of using civilians as human shields, which the Palestinian terrorist group denies. The problem of anti-Semitism on college campuses is front and center on Capitol Hill. This week, House Republicans, as of yesterday, let Jewish students from the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, MIT, and NYU, including this student, Bella Ingber, talk about the rise of anti-Semitism at their schools. Being a Jew at NYU is walking to class and passing torn and defaced posters of innocent hostages with the words occupier and murderer written across their faces. Presidents of those same schools facing questions over their handling of anti-Semitism on their campuses during the House subcommittee hearing yesterday. College administrators being accused of failing to respond to surging anti-Semitism following the October attack on Israel by Hamas. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, one of those grilling Harvard President Claudine Gay on the perceived double standard of when colleges choose to punish students. A Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes or no question. Is that corrected? Since the attack, the Department of Education launching investigations into Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and other top schools, college campuses have never seen, have seen, actually a rise in tension over the ongoing Israeli-Hamas war. Senator Tommy Tuberville is lifting his hold on most military promotions. The Alabama Republican has been putting a hold on confirmations for months because of the Pentagon's abortion policy, but telling reporters yesterday he'll now block only military promotions for senior officers and four-star generals. As Catholic News Agency reports, federal law does prohibit Department of Defense funds from being used to perform abortions, except where the life of the mother would be endangered if the fetus were carried to term, or in a case in which a pregnancy is a result of an act of rape or incest. Scott Carr tells us doctors say a new syndrome that's been identified in some newborn babies may be related to fentanyl exposure. Recently published findings show at least 10 babies who were born to mothers who had used fentanyl have been identified with distinctive birth defects, including cleft palate and small heads. The researchers say no common genetic cause has been uncovered, and they suspect fentanyl may be causing disruptions to cholesterol metabolism in the developing fetus. The study's co-authors add that much more work is needed to confirm the findings. At least two deaths are being blamed on that atmospheric river we mentioned in the weather forecast that's been dumping heavy rain on the Pacific Northwest for three straight days. The National Weather Service says up to eight inches of rain has fallen across that region, 
causing creeks to rise and possibly killing two people who may have been killed by the flood waters. Forecasters predicting heavy rain will continue across portions of Oregon and Northern California into this evening. Brian Shook tells us the late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor will lie in repose in the Great Hall of the Supreme Court on December 18th. Well, moving right along, having a little bit of trouble with our computer, the father of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer is dead. Lionel Dahmer had claimed his son was not born a monster and that he loved him unconditionally. Years after his conviction for the murders of 17 men, his father wrote a book in which he acknowledged his obliviousness, he said, to his son's behaviors. He passed away yesterday at the age of 87. And there is a bipartisan push to keep AM radio in new vehicles. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz saying the plan to drop AM service is a big mistake. Over 80 million Americans listen to AM radio every month. They rely on it. And Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts saying AM radio is vital during emergencies. We have to ensure that for public safety reasons that AM radio stays in the vehicles that Americans drive. Some companies have already killed AM from some models, claiming electric motors interfere with AM frequencies. Crews tried to get the bill passed Tuesday by unanimous consent, but Kentucky Republican Senator Paul Rand opposed the measure. He claimed it would force mandates on private companies, and he would only vote yes if the electric car tax credit was dropped. The bill is stuck right now for the time being. Mark Mayfeld tells us there's a new theory out suggesting that current earthquakes may actually be aftershocks of quakes that actually struck back in the 19th century. According to a study by researchers with the U.S. Geological Survey, seismic activity today can be traced back to earthquakes in the 1800s, even though there were no seismographs back then. The researchers say there are plenty of written accounts of where quakes struck and how strong they felt. They say that understanding earthquakes from 200 or more years ago will help us prepare for the large earthquakes to come. There's a supply and demand, apparently, and it's a crisis when it comes to jolly old St. Nick. Mitch Allen with HireSanta.com says they're having trouble keeping up with requests this Christmas season. We're up 36% in terms of people reaching out to us compared with last year, and last year was a record year. The problem is that there are fewer centers around since COVID. Many impersonators who are elderly have been slow to get back into events with a lot of children. Allen says the result is that weekends are already sold out in most markets. And finally, in our new segment, at almost 13 minutes past the hour on a Wednesday edition of Catholic Connection, it's December 6th in the first week of Advent. We all go through a lot of stress. Julia Greg Alexander from the Alexander House talked about this yesterday when it comes to marriages during the holidays and what we face. But it's not only people, apparently, because for some people in the month of December, as we mentioned, full of holiday events and stress, but apparently little Fido and Fifi, Fido and Fifi, your little pets there, are also not feeling, according to Rebecca Hughes, so festive. From large, loud bashes to quiet dinner parties, your pets may be feeling the stress of having extra commotion in the house. Veterinarian Dr. Susan Nelson says owners will know if their furry friend enjoys the extra attention or not. If your dog or your cat is not comfortable with strangers and other people in the house, then they should probably be shut up in a back room, dogs maybe in their crate during the party time. That way they'll be less stressed and not in the midst of everything. She says if you don't think that will ease their tension, talk to your vet about herbal supplements or even prescriptions that can help you and your pet enjoy the events of the holiday season. It is a Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN, this program, Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Global Catholic Radio. Find us both online, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. Coming up next, Dr. Monica Milliker explores what the Holy Father said about the importance of understanding the theology of women. If we don't understand that, he says, we do not understand the church. We'll be right back. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org 
A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Talked about this earlier this week at the Holy Father meeting with a group of cardinals and studying the importance of the theology of women and how we have to understand woman. And if we don't, we don't understand the church. Dr. Monica Miller, citizens of a pro life society, known for many things, including a great work in the pro life movement, but she's also a theologian who's written several books, including two fantastic books, all about this type of, a, of discussion surrounding who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, the marital covenant as it relates to the church. Uh, the male and female complementarity, which is a huge, huge issue that is often ignored or misunderstood. It's such a beautiful teaching in the church. Two books you might want to grab a hold of, and you can find them at the EWTN catalog and also at Ave Maria Radio's bookstore, Sexuality and Authority in the Catholic Church, of course, published by, again, Dr. Monica Miller, written by her, and The Authority of Women in the Catholic Church. And this book also has a forward by Scott Hahn. So, Monica, good morning. Thanks for joining us. I really found his comments on this extremely refreshing and an affirmation in terms of the beauty of the Church on her teaching about the role of women. Yeah, it's, it, it is very, very encouraging that he's emphasizing this incredibly important and, and really, it, it, how shall I put it? This is the essence of what the Church is. The Church is female. Okay, and I want to quote um, Saint Edith Stein. Oh, um, I love her. Some some of her own writings on the the role of women, and so she says, "Woman is called upon to embody in her highest and purest development the essence of the Church to be its symbol." So she put it all together right there. And one of the things that, we, that and, and even in our own day and age, this is something that is, is di- most very, very difficult, uh, I think, for people to appreciate, to understand, to accept, because we have so much um, confusion now on what what is gender, period. Right, right. And, and uh, the Catholic Church really teaches that male and female sexuality is it has a sacramental dimension. <laughs> um, these are transcendent signs that speak the reality of God's relationship to His people. And so th- this is this is not just a nice way of talking. the The covenant of redemption is a nuptial covenant. Right. So that's why. Uh, Christ's own uh, gender as male has salvific su- significance. And so he comes. It's not like he's, you know, throw, roll the dice, I gotta, I gotta come as a guy, I gotta come as a girl, which one's it gonna be? Okay, <laughs> eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Oh, hey, wound up being a guy. Okay, that's <laughs> so silly, of course. Right. Jesus intends to come as a man because he is wedding his people. He is the bridegroom to his church. That means that means automatically that the church is female in relationship to God. Right. So this is the thing that we need to uh, to emphasize. We need to cultivate it. This should be taught in every you know catechism class uh, starting at the age of six. Uh, you know, especially for women for women to know that this is their dignity. 
uh, just as, as I quoted uh, uh, St. Edith Stein there, um, to embody in her highest development the essence of the Church, to be its symbol. And in in my book, uh, Sexuality and Authority in the Catholic Church, I have a whole chapter on how the Church is a mother, okay? (laughs) And and it's beautiful, the beautiful theology, uh, Teresa, uh, coming out of the... uh, the fathers of the church, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, there's just there's, there's just so much there. And there, Saint Cyprian, for example, he was the uh, bishop of of Carthage. He died a martyr. I, let me read this quotation from from him. And this is on his his work. Uh, the The title of it is on the unity of the Catholic Church. And so here's this fantastic uh, quote. He says, whoever breaks with the Church and enters an adulterous union cuts himself off from the promises made to the Church, and he who has turned his back on the Church of Christ shall not come to the rewards of Christ. He is an alien, a worldling, an enemy. And then we have this very famous quote, You cannot have God for your father, if you have not the church for your, your mother, mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love yeah. that, right? And a lot of the fathers of the church, for example, um, talk about a, a particular piece of furniture in in the church um, that actually is the womb of the church, and that is the baptismal font. Mm. So the church is 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 spiritually and sacramentally birthing uh, children for God. And, and it, gets, it even can get a little graphic. I mean, we have a quotation from uh, St. Augustine's sermon, sermon number 216. And uh, so let, let, let me read this uh, as well. O oh, you who are being born to the faith, whom the Lord has made, strive to be born in sound and healthful fashion, lest you be prematurely and disastrously delivered. Behold the womb of your mother, the Church. Behold Mm. how she labors in pain to bear you and to bring you forth into the light of faith. Do not, by your impatience, disturb your mother's body and make narrow the passage of your delivery. Wow. I know. Behold the womb of your mother, and and what he's really is he's he's cautioning catechumens not to get baptized before they're ready to be baptized. Mm. Um, You know, before the don't don't be impatient, right? And make narrow the passage of your delivery. And he he even uses the, the Latin word for 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 womb. He actually uses the word uterus. So. As I said, it gets a little graphic there, but this this is what the Church is in relationship to God, and that means then that women, as, I, as we go back to that, that quotation from Edith Stein, women are the sign of the Church in relationship to Jesus, in relationship to God, and this is something we, we really need to, to own, we need to cultivate that, it's not just a nice theological idea. It's the reality right, of what right. the Church is in relationship to God. Well, one of the points the Holy Father made when he made those comments recently, and he was discussing it again with, with the different cardinals, I think this is beautiful, and I know you, you sent us this link to this article that was on the bishop's website. Women have a capacity for theological reflection that is different from what we men have. And I think that is key that we are different, we're equal but different, and the world misses this, Monica. The whole idea right. of male-female complementarity, women bring a different set of gifts to the table. Men have a certain exactly. set of gifts, yeah. women have a certain set of gifts, and they work together for the beauty of the Church. Exactly. Um, and, and I argue in, in my book, Sexuality and Authority in the Catholic Church, what's, what's grossly misunderstood is what is the meaning of authority, and most people, uh, certainly most people, I think I can safely say, they understand authority in, in, a, in a political sense. 
um, authority is how much power do you have? <laughs> right. So, you know, they collapse authority into power or power into authority. And so who has the power, you know? And, and in the end, it's like, who do I get to boss around, okay? Uh, that is not what authority ultimately is about. Even the word itself, going back to the Latin, octor. To be an octor is to give life, to be the source, the beginning, the origin of something. Uh, so males, male and females, we, we give life differently. And yep. that's, that's how we have to understand what it means to be male or female. Yes, more on this with Dr. Monica Miller, picking up on the comments of the Holy Father, understanding the theology of women and how we're different but equal and bring different things to the table. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, of course, Edith Stein, and so many others have written about this. More with Dr. Miller. She has two books on the topic. We'll be right back. Pope Francis, recently meeting with the International Council of Cardinals for a discussion on the feminine genius, the feminine dimension of the church. We're talking about that with Dr. Monica Miller, Citizens of Pro-Life Society. She's an author, a speaker, and a theologian. The Authority of Women in the Catholic Church, one of her books, and it's written obviously by Monica, but the forward by Dr. Scott Hahn, and then another great book that she mentioned earlier, Sexuality and Authority in the Catholic Church. We'll put the links to both of these fantastic books that are very, very helpful. I have them in my library. We'll put this on Catholic Connection Archive, and you can also find it, of course, on the EWTN Religious Catalog. Monica, I think a lot of the confusion has to do with this idea of power. People, If they would understand the priesthood and the role of the priest and the deacon, they, I think, would understand better why it's important for women to maintain and men to maintain the proper roles. People think that, and you, and you alluded to this before the break, that the priesthood or being a deacon is all about power. We want the same power. It's got nothing to do with power. It's with, it's about servanthood. Right. And, 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 and yes, I mean, I, I start out, the, in, even in the introduction in my book, uh, Sexuality and Authority in the Catholic Church, this is... This is the thing we've got to get right. There is a there is a super confusion uh, regarding uh, what is power versus what is authority, and they are not the same thing. <laughs> right. Okay, um, uh, it's somebody who has authority might have power, but you know, power is 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 usually understood as as something quantified. Okay, you know. How many? How how big is your army? How how much money do you have, um, and and so on. So you can actually measure it, right? And and um, and then once you 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 have you have a weight, and if you have a certain weight, then you can literally throw your weight around, right? You can suppress people. You can you can order people that uh, maybe even kill people. That is not authority. And authority, you know, going back to the Latin, it means to give life, to be the source or the beginning of something, to be the origin. Men and women give life differently. Right. Women give life internally within their own bodies. This is this is enormous. This is this what a gift. I mean, do I want to talk about power? Well, there maybe in some ways it's the ultimate power. The hand that rocks life, the cradle rules the world. There's a reason for that. To give saying. life from within yourself and. Uh, John Paul II said something very, very beautiful and, 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 and very important. He said, God has entrusted the human to women. That's, that's incredible. And so the women have a, a feminine concern, uh, and this is coming uh, even Edith, in Edith Stein's works. The, the, the feminine, women have a concern for what is whole, for what is personal, and thus uh, to be female is the antidote to human solitude and to deadly isolation. Um, you know, even if you go back to Genesis chapter two, uh, uh, the, the the man is in a, is in that uh, as John Paul II said that original solitude. The problem of original solitude. The problem of original solitude is solved by the creation of the woman. Okay, and in chapter 2 of Genesis, the, the woman there, you know, we get, it, it, it gets translated, uh, helpmate, the, 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 the one, um, the, the helper fit for him, the suitable 
partner and so on. Well, all, all of that is, is, is actually rather weak because the, 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 the original Hebrew word for the woman is ezar, E-Z-E-R. What is an ezar? The ezar would be someone who gives uh, water to someone, someone who's dying of thirst or puts a tourniquet on, on the, the wound of someone who would otherwise bleed to death. So what does that say now? What, what, what is the woman then really in relationship to the man? She is his savior. She rescues him from the problem of that, that original solitude. She, the woman brings the, the man into the orbit of human communion. And so then we have the, the great climax of Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. So she, the woman, is the center of human communion. And that's why, they, you know, in, our, in, in the first segment, as we were, we were talking about um, unity, the unity, Christian unity uh, is, is, is created uh, through the womb of the baptismal font. So even, even there we see the, 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 impor- the importance of, of the woman as the sign of the church and, and, and creating uh, uh, unity in, in the world. I mean, I, I argue that the Catholic Church is the primary uh, um, source of unity in the world. <laughs> Right. Not the UN, not the United, you know, the United States of America, the Church. Okay, and 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 it goes back to the feminine nature of creating communion, being the the the, the source and the heart of the family, and drawing the man into that human communion. So now that 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 men know who they are, what they are for, what is what is even their work for. Is, is, is to be at the service of, of the woman, his wife, and his family. Uh, what would you recommend? Because I know I, I love the papal letter to women and Mulieris Dictatum on the Dignity and Vocation of Women by John Paul II. In addition to your books and those documents, what would you recommend that folks read to get a better understanding of what the Pope is talking about? Well, there, there's uh, the, the, and I, I, the, the name of the author is escaping me at the moment, but oh, the the book flight flight from the flight from women and also the there's this really good book uh, the eternal woman so those are some books that i think would help people understand the importance of of women and even in relationship to the to the church yeah, it, to me, it's just it's just so frustrating because when you read the documents, or even when you read scripture, I think if you read the way Jesus related to women, if you read, of course, in the Gospel of John, the woman at the well, and and how Jesus was meeting her right right where she was at, and she was a Samaritan, and here he is, right, a Jew. Men didn't talk to women. Men didn't have deep conversations with women about things like that because they weren't even considered good enough women to give testimony in court, right? Because they were considered much lower than men. And there he was having a conversation with her and and changed right. her whole life. Life, and she's considered to be one of the first evangelists, if not the first evangelist of Christ. So there's so much that we don't understand. The church is such a deep well. When I started studying, Monica, some of these documents, and I was coming back into the church, I felt like, where the heck have I been all these years? I could have had a V8. I had no idea. <laughs> right. right? Right. Well, let's, let's you know, talking about the essence of the church as feminine. Okay, so we talked about how the church gives life through the womb of the baptismal font. But then, of course, if, the, if a woman is giving life, then she also has to feed her children. So the church, as a mother, feeds her children through the sacraments. And what else does a, a mother do, uh, what else does a mother do as the church does? Educates her children mm-hmm. through the through you know the doctrinal teachings, through catechetics, and so on. And even even though we might not like this part of it, the church disciplines her children. <laughs> so anyway, those are the those are the very you know, we talk about the essence of the church as feminine. Well there there it is right there. Yep. Giving life and then feeding the, the children that you, you have brought into the world, into the kingdom of God, into the church, and and then um, educating them and disciplining them. Amen. So Monica, well said. So much to talk about in addition to what you already said, but we'll put the links to your books up there. 
and help people understand more deeply. We'll be right back. administration is aiming to axe pregnancy centers family assistance funds nationwide this is a press release from our friends at the susan b anthony pro-life america group states may no longer be able to utilize dollars to fund pregnancy resource centers services for mothers if a proposed hhs rule goes into effect on october 2nd the secretary of health and the agency posted the rule change that will affect four states which use the funding for pregnancy resources centers including missouri pennsylvania louisiana and indiana Katie Daniel is the state policy director for Susan B. Anthony. Okay, so what specifically funds are we talking about and how important are they, Katie, to resource centers? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So this is a program called PANIS. Um, It has a couple overarching goals. Um, It's really about helping families develop uh, economic self-sufficiency, giving them that temporary assistance to help get them on their feet, Um, And you heard me say families. Uh, Another big goal of the program is two-parent households. Um, If all of that sounds a lot like what your local pregnancy center is doing, it's because it is. Um, That's why in the past 20 years, a dozen states have partnered with pregnancy centers to distribute these funds, to have programs like relationship training, um, like parenting classes, all of which fits the goals of the program. Uh, But unfortunately, the Biden administration no longer sees pregnancy centers as a good partner because they don't counsel or push for abortion. So is this a done deal? Is this done? Are they cut off now or is is this going into effect? So the rule is still in the proposal stage. Um, Over 7,000 people commented. So now the administration will have to read through all those comments and respond to them. So if you commented, thank you. Um, They'll have to hear what everybody has to say. Uh, But certainly this is their policy, which is an anti-pregnancy center policy. And so what the rule does is it allows a bureaucrat in Washington to second guess the states. So the way this funding works is it's sent out to all the states and then the state creates a program to meet these goals of self-sufficiency of two-parent households. And the state gets to decide who to partner with. Under the rule, the Biden administration gets to second guess and question the states. And it specifically said in the materials on the rule that we will automatically second guess you if you're partnering with pregnancy centers. So how, how, what does this mean then if they won't be able to access this funding? Because according to your press release, it says a four states individually utilized between one and seven million of the TANF dollars to fund pregnancy centers in a year. And according to your research, it's a very small, very small, minuscule drop in the bucket, of course, compared to what Planned Parenthood gets from the government receiving over $670 million. So $1 to $7 million is a lot of money, though, to pregnancy resource centers. It absolutely is. And what it means for the pregnancy centers is all of a sudden they've got to fill that gap so that they don't drop services. So Pennsylvania is a really good example of this. They have a great program called Real Alternatives. It's been around for over 25 years. Um, They really have been the model for this. And all of a sudden, their Democrat pro-abortion governor comes in and says, I'm cutting an $8 million contract with Real Alternatives at the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now they've had to go out into the community and fundraise to be able to meet that deficit in a time when a lot of families are struggling. And and so it's challenging to go out and ask people to give more uh, than they're already giving, but but they have to, or they're gonna have to make those hard choices about what services to not include. So the stakes are incredibly high for the families that are served by these pregnancy centers. So do you think, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, given the current administration and the current climate out there, do you think it's better not to receive any funding from the government, given the way things are going and it seems to be getting worse, not better? Well, there are some centers that have made that decision and they say Mm -hmm. we're going to be 100 percent privately funded. And and you can understand why. Uh, There are also states that have said we don't want to mess with TANF. We don't want somebody in Washington telling us who we can partner with. And so they've Uh, replaced that funding with state general funds. Uh, This is something Texas did two years ago. Uh, They had been using TANF funding, 
to partner with pregnancy centers, and they said, we're just going to use Texas money so that we don't have to worry about what's happening in D.C. So I think that's another thing that we'll continue to see states do. Uh, But this is a program that pregnancy centers should be a part of. Absolutely. And certainly with somebody like Governor Shapiro, he wants to redirect that money to Planned Parenthood. Yeah, because they don't get enough money already, right? (laughs) Right. If you look at the numbers, they're receiving over $700 million from the government each year. Pregnancy centers are around $15 million from the federal government. It's fortunately more from states, uh, but it is not close when you compare the two. We're talking with Katie Daniels, State Policy Director for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Who has these folks' ears, whether it's Biden or Shapiro, these folks who are so anti-pregnancy resource center? Because if they care so much as they say they do about families and women, to me, you know, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Go inside and see what these resource centers do and how much they offer for families with help and assistance, financial assistance, uh, you know, parenting classes, so much more that they do, obviously. In, uh, they're not offering abortions, but there's so much good that they do, and they seem to be totally ignorant of this. I think you're absolutely right, and that's something that we wanted to point out in our comment for SBA I know a lot of pregnancy centers submitted their own comment um, and lawmakers from these states who said, you should understand what we do and what these centers are doing in our community. Um, We often feel like Washington is disconnected from our communities, and I think this is totally an example of that. Um, They're making assumptions about pregnancy centers based on what they've seen in the media and, and politicians saying these are fake clinics because they don't do abortion And they're not listening to what actually happens in these centers and how aligned it is with the program. Also, I think once people do see it, it makes a difference. Because last year, about this time of year, I don't know if you remember the story, but it was in my area in in southeastern Michigan, where a wonderful pregnancy resource center on the oldest in Michigan, Pregnancy Aid. Remember when all the pregnancy resource centers, it's still happening. But last year after Roe v. Wade, there was a whole slew of of attacks on pregnancy resource centers. Mm -hmm. And one of the board members, who was a personal friend of mine and goes to my parish, somehow they got her information and they went and they put graffiti all over her garage and, and, and smashed her front window and it was it was horrible and so you know the whole fake clinic thing and whatnot then they went over to the center which is on infamous eight mile road and did the same thing and i have to give credit to a couple of the local reporters because what they did was they went inside katie pregnancy aid and sat down and talked to nancy nancy tanner the director and they showed the different things that's going on in the center. They showed the store. They showed, you know, people uh, having the parenting classes. They talked about the programs. And as a result, people were writing in and sending them checks saying, you know what, I still consider myself pro-choice, but I see what you're doing, and it's really important. Keep up the good work. So once it's exposed and once people understand all the different services, things can change. And so I think that's why we have to work really hard to make sure people really understand what pregnancy resource centers do, which is so much more than quote unquote Planned Parenthood or abortion mills. You're absolutely right. I love that story. Um, and that is why pregnancy centers are threatening. It, it feels you know, very silly that the free diaper people are threatening to the federal government. But when your worldview is oriented around abortion always being the best and only choice, Somebody offering something different, whether it's parenting classes or material support, that is threatening. It threatens the bottom line of the abortion industry. Now, in your press release, you mentioned the fact that the administration, the Biden administration, is going against some recent polling regarding pregnancy resource centers. Tell us about that. Right. 75% of Americans support um, using government dollars in pregnancy centers where it makes sense. And I think. It's exactly the type of people that you mentioned who are writing in saying, I'm pro-choice, but this is about choice. Um, These politicians say they're pro-choice, but they are pro-abortion, and they're very much against the American people, whether people consider themselves pro-life or pro-choice. So is there anything right now that our listeners can do to make a difference here in this chain of funding? I know that the comment section is probably closed now, but anything else we can do? Well, comments to the federal government are closed, but certainly if you call your elected representative, um, whether it's in your state house, uh, Michigan did have a real alternatives program, actually. Governor Whitmer ended that. Um, so calling your local elected officials or your representatives in Congress, telling them the great things happening in your community. Also, if you're able to, opening your wallet, helping support um, these centers and the families that they serve. 
um, because the reality is we cannot rely on the Biden administration to um, to prop that up. If anything, they're trying to to pull that little amount of money away. So um, there's a reason that many centers are 100 um, percent donor funded and privately supported. Um, and, and we can all have a part in that. And I think, too, Katie, and I know you would agree with this, is to educate yourself even further and educate others on what pregnancy resource centers actually do, the amount of services they offer. And when the director of Pregnancy Aid in Detroit sat down with some of the local reporters, she said, look, someone com- could come in who's abortion-minded, someone who come in who, who come in who's not even looking at this from a pregnancy perspective, but they need help, they need clothes for their kids, they need parenting classes, they need assistance of some type. So th- there's, a, there's a broad variety of services that these centers across the country offer. They are doing so much more for families and for women. And a lot of people don't know about that, even Catholics. Yeah, that's right. You know, one in four women who go into a center aren't not pregnant, um, whether they believe that they are and then they get the test that says they're not, or um, they're going in for a different reason. Um, they, they just need some support for the kids they already have. Um, they want post-abortion healing. And obviously, you know, many men are also served by these centers um, in different types of ways. So yes, learning more about what's going on. Um, and And through that education, you may find a great role for yourself to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much you can do to help. Katie, thanks so much. Where do we find out more information about this particular effort by the Biden administration once again to attack pro-life sources? Is this on your website? Yes. If you go to sbaprolife.org, we've got a lot of information about the rule, about what's going on, and, and highlighting Um, some of our awesome pro-life state lawmakers who have been taking a stand on this issue. Katie, thanks so much. Katie Daniel is the state policy director for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. We'll be right back to wrap up a Wednesday morning edition of Catholic Connection. A few little things about St. Nicholas you may not be aware of. We'll talk about that up next on a Wednesday. Stay tuned. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic Healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health-sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I come from the other side of the tracks, see? My uncle used to have slot machines. Put one nickel in and it's empty. And I brought him home in a bag and my mother looked at me. Where did you get all that money? I said, I won him. You didn't win him. He fixed the machine. I didn't care if he fixed the machine or not, you know? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Fifty-three minutes past the hour. I hope you're having a beautiful Wednesday morning. Wednesday, December sixth, feast day of Saint Nicholas is celebrated today. As I mentioned at the top of the hour earlier, there's a great story written by Hannah Brockhaus on CatholicNewsAgency.com, all about Saint Nick. Some things you may not know. His feast day again celebrated today. Well known as possibly the real life inspiration for the beloved Christmas character of Santa Claus. Of course, probably familiar with that. But there are other stories and legends regarding his connection to children and his connection to gift giving. There's a a beautiful story about him giving gifts to the father 
of three brides or three women who did not have who did not have men that were interested in them because they didn't have money, they didn't have dowries. So let me read you this part of the story because I thought this was really cool. So he's a patron saint of unmarried people, fishermen, pawnbrokers, and the falsely accused. One of the most popular legends about Nicholas is that the saint, who was said to have come from a wealthy family, secretly helped a poor man with three daughters. A father could not provide proper dowries for the girls to marry, and without husbands to support them, they might have been forced to turn to prostitution. After learning about the situation, Nicholas secretly slipped a bag of gold coins through the family's window while they were sleeping. He later left a second bag of coins and likewise another bag for the third daughter, at which point the legend says the father who had waited up all night caught Nicholas red-handed in his gift-giving, but Nicholas made him promise to keep it all a secret. That story, as the article explains, is likely the explanation for why the modern Christmas character of Santa Claus brings his gifts for children under the cover of night. In artworks referencing this legend, the three bags of coins are often depicted as three golden balls. Images of gold balls were also used to mark the shops of pawnbrokers, which is probably how Nicholas came to be the patron saint of pawnbrokers as well. So there's so much interesting history and legends attached to some of the early, early saints. So that's why it helps to do a little bit of research and find out more about them. So really good article again it is on catholicnewsagency.com it is entitled let me scroll back up here five things to know and share today and other days as well through advent and christmas about the real saint nicholas as we mentioned earlier he's buried in the beautiful city of body and that is in the region of puglia which is the heel of italy that is an amazing area of italy and as i said earlier oftentimes when people go as pilgrims they do go obviously to see Padre Pio, which is amazing, in San Giovanni Rotondo. They go to Gargano for the Cave of St. Michael, but they turn around, they go back up, and they miss the rest of Puglia. They miss St. Nicholas, and they miss Matera, which is actually in Basilicata on the border of Puglia, but an amazing, an amazing place, and so much religious history, and it's a very faithful area of Italy. So if you're ever back in Italy or going there, highly recommend Puglia. Anyway, tomorrow we are going to be talking with Father Mitch Pacwa for our cultural connections. And since Friday is a very important feast day in the church, we are going to talk about the Immaculate Conception with the one, the only Father Mitch Pacwa. Have a great Wednesday, middle of the week. We'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing, on a Thursday. Adomani. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.